What I want to do is I want to actually share this morning just something with you on um, one of the good gifts that the Father of lights above give us, which is actually the Word of God. And I would love to share with you on how to find wisdom in the Word, because ultimately, um, you know, we worship um, as Christians, we follow the Lord Jesus, and He's given us the gift of the Word of God that are boundary lines for our lives. They provide the foundations for how we to live and how we to, to live in this life. And I would like to start by, um, by looking at a scripture in 2 Timothy 3. I just want to get my notes. The challenge with us, and I think sometimes, and I know for me in the past, I've had to, to work this through for my own life. Let me just quickly get my notes. And um, is that I've had to often realize that definitely growing up, my attitude towards the Bible had been one of a bit of a mystical attitude towards the Bible, a bit of a superstitious attitude. And I find people today often do have a bit of a, uh, when we treat in our relationship, you know, we have a relationship with the living God through Jesus. Um, that's how we come to him. But then how does this book, how does it work with the book? This is the good book. It's inspired by God, not inspired in the same kind of way that Shakespeare is inspired or as some kind of inspirational movie you've seen that, that carries grains of truth, you know, echoes of eternity. This book is different. Um, it's given by the Lord, and the book itself attests that it's actually the very Word of God. But although it is the very Word of God, and every, every word, in a sense, is breathed out by God, Scripture says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, I want, actually want to look at the verse before that. Um, I find many Christians over the years have this strange, superstitious way of, of, of reading the Bible. For example, they, they almost say, well, I, I, I need to... Um, uh, you, know, um, you know, a verse a day keeps the devil away kind of thing, you know. And, uh, and if I read, if I just, you know, take my promise and, and I read that verse and I keep it, somehow it has some kind of magical power to, if I memorize it enough. Now, of course, we need to memorize the Bible. It's actually good to do that. We, we need to do that. But, but it's not the words itself, the pages itself that carry power. It's the message of the Bible that brings us into relationship with them through every word. And, um, you know, there's an interesting story, uh, this is true, of a king in Ethiopia. Um, his, his name was called King Menelik II. He was the emperor of Ethiopia over 100 years ago. Um, I don't know if any of you know him or know about him, but he was a man who illustrates this kind of superstitious belief in the Bible. And he had great faith in the Bible. So much so, this is how the story goes, whenever he felt sick, he would rip a few pages from the holy book, and he would eat them. This was his regular practice, and it did never seem to harm him. He was recovering from a stroke in December 1913 when he began to feel particularly sick, and he asked an aide to tear out the complete book, books of one and two kings, and feed them to him page by page. He died before he could eat both books. <laughs> And I find sometimes Christians might not go to that extreme, but it's like, you know, ooh, don't put the Bible on the floor because it's disrespectful, you know? Keep it high above in a, in a safe place. But we actually never get to read it. We never, we never feed on it. We never engage it. We never pour ourselves into it because if it is a gift, we to actually model our lives and be shaped by it um, and, and, and the message of it. And, uh, and so this morning, I really want to inspire you, if anything, because we are in a season where uh, we do sense as a leadership in, in Josh Jen, that we want to get back to the Bible. And I think we often are feeding on a lot of different sources, so to speak. 
You know, you might not be ripping pages out of books and eating them, but we often drink from so many different wells of, of teachings and teachers from the internet and from YouTube and books we read. But actually, you know, we're part of a household where we need to value Scripture above all else. And so I really want to encourage us through this, that, that we, this is our source, this is our well that we drink from, uh, first and foremost. So let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and um, I would like to read with you from verse 12 um, to verse 15, and read to you a portion of Scripture, and then bring out a couple of uh, points for us to apply this morning. Is that good? Okay, fantastic. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it. Interesting, just to stop there. Um, he's saying to Timothy, uh, you know, that actually continue in, in growing in your knowledge of Scripture. He's actually referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament was still being formed. And, um, and he's saying to them, but continue in what you've learned, but knowing from whom you've learned it. And it's interesting that, you know, although we have the Bible and we can read the Bible, but actually we learn it from the community of faith. Um, we get discipled, not just by the, by the Bible alone, but by those from whom we've learned it. And don't you find that, that God, when he gives us the gift of his word, um, as you start following Jesus, we start following Jesus through members and saints and brothers and sisters and leaders in the house. And we actually trust the teaching because we know where it comes from. And I think sometimes we're so easy to to drink from different teachers and teachings, but we don't know them. But we do know those who have walked in uh, the house, who have a track record of faithfulness and character that we can draw from. That's what he's saying here. And if we carry on, he says, um, knowing from whom you've, you've firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so I want to make the point here from verse 15. It says that these sacred writings, the Bible, it says is able. But is able to do what? It says he's able to make you wise. I want to stop there quickly. Able to make you wise. And the one thing we must see that when we come to Scripture, as we receive and read the Bible, and as we, as we drink from it, so to speak, and read it, and, and learn to allow it to wash us as we read it, it says one of the benefits of the word, it makes us wise unto salvation or for salvation. Um, and I want to start, look at the first part, make, make us wise. And you know, what is wisdom? How do you define what wisdom is? You know, wisdom basically, definitely from godly wisdom, is the ability to make good choices so that you can live a godly life, a flourishing life. And the Bible is full of, in fact, there's, there's actually a genre in the Bible that are called the books of wisdom, uh, which is um, uh, Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. Those three books are known as the, the wisdom books. And in fact, the Old Testament, the Jews had a high regard for those books because they understood that while all of Scripture helps you to be wise, to actually make good choices, there are certain books that delve a little bit deeper 
into what it means to be a person of wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, I, I really desire to be wise. I don't want to be making st stupid decisions. I want to be making good decisions. And we make decisions every day that affect our lives and actually can affect our eternity. And it's interesting, it's a wisdom for salvation. You know, there's a lot of teachers today, uh, it's quite popular, even in the church, that, that teach you about how you can live your best life now. You know, how you can have seven steps to, to this and to that. But it's really focused on how to become, how to have better status, or how to have better position in life, or how to become more wealthy. But that's actually not what Scripture is concerned about. It's a wisdom for salvation. In other words, that God's heart is to shape us for eternity. That, that the decisions we make today actually affect uh, our eternity. Affect what happens not just in this life, but in the life to come. And, and I think sometimes we can be so short-sighted to, to build ourselves like a life where we want to be successful, that actually we end up losing our very soul by doing that. And, um, and so he's interested in a kind of wisdom here. But, you know, these kind of wisdom books, it's interesting. I mean, I'd encourage you, uh, you know, I don't know how well you, how often you read Book of Proverbs in Ecclesiastes, but Proverbs, for example, is a kind of wisdom book that is a, uh, is a practical wisdom. It's like an everyday common sense wisdom. I know there's, you know, there's 31 chapters in the Book of Proverbs, and, you know, someone once said if you read, you know, you read a chapter a day, you know, to grow in wisdom, it's, it's a good thing to do. Um, and the book of Proverbs is just wise when it comes to things that today might seem shocking to us. You know, for example, uh, it speaks of how you discipline your children. It speaks of things like um, if you work hard, God will bless you. Uh, you'll, you'll, but for those that are lazy, and it's got these themes through the book of Proverbs like the, the sluggard and the wise man. And how if you're actually truly wise, you'll receive correction and you'll listen to people when they correct you because that's a sign of wisdom. And, and these beautiful kind of images through the book of Proverbs, but they basically help us make good decisions every day that we can ultimately flourish in this life and to learn how to serve the Lord. But you know, there's other books as well. There's like Ecclesiastes and Job. I don't know about you, but those are, the, those are kind of the books that, but like that family member, that weird family member that everyone avoids. You know, that strange uncle or aunt that it's like, you know, uh, we're not going to hang out with them because we don't, they're just weird, you know. They speak it, and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs are a bit like that. They're kind of the, the, the cousins in the Bible that we stay far from because they're difficult to understand. I mean, Ecclesiastes, and those books are a kind of wisdom that are called uh, philosophical wisdom. That often called that. It's the kind of wisdom that when you read it, you're left confused. Uh, I don't know about you, I do. When I read Ecclesiastes, you know, it's written by Solomon who had it all. I mean, he, he had lived the life. He had it all. He had the money. He had the power. You know, he had lived the life. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, kind of, he had it all, really, you know, and he had tasted it all. He had tasted everything about life. And he writes about his, all his experiences, and he goes, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Vanity, vanity. And then you read on, and it's a very pessimistic book. And you say, okay, okay, let me go read Job. Maybe it's a bit more encouraging. <laughs> and you read about this man, this righteous man, you know, who, who doesn't see, he's, he's like a straight arrow. He's, he cares for the poor, he loves his family, he's, he's a godly man. And how the, the God allows the devil to to really test him. And uh, even his wife turns against him, you know, curse God and die, you know. 
and just, you know, and, and, he, and he, but he just holds the line. But I want to say these kind of books, um, they actually help us to realize that sometimes life and the things of life that happen to us are inexplicable. And that God, through it, doesn't actually always give us the answers. But when we read Job, we see that while God doesn't give you the answers, maybe to the pain of life, even the things that he allows, by the way, in his wisdom, he will allow things to happen to you. But what he does is he gives you himself, and he gives you his strength, and he gives you his presence. And I think sometimes, you know, we're in a world where we want the answers, and if we don't have the answers, we don't have the knowledge, then we throw it out. But actually, growing in wisdom as, as a child of God means actually, learn, Lord, I'm going to learn to follow you even when I don't have the answers. And God would ne never promises to give us always the answers, but he does promise to give himself his presence. Um, you know, there's a story in the, in the New Testament where uh, Paul the Apostle, and um, he's seen great things, man. He's been there, done that, got the t-shirt, godly man, and he's got a thorn in the flesh. Any of you got a thorn in the flesh? You know, where you've walked around with this thing and you've prayed for God to take it away, and you still seem to have that part of your life that you, you almost, that, you know, thorn in the flesh. Some of you, maybe it's your mother-in-law. No, I'm joking. <laughs> or it's a, fa or it's, it's a job, or it's someone at work, or it's, it's even something that, that you feel is, is, is buffeting against you in your faith. And you've prayed, and, you know, it actually says of Paul, of Paul that he says he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And the Lord said, and the Lord answered him. The Lord said, basically, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is sufficient for you. Actually, I need, I need you to, because I'm working through the pain, I'm working through the suffering to actually make you more like me. Because through your weakness, my strength is found. My strength is made perfect. And, and, and sometimes, my friends, the ways of God are inexplicable. You know, interesting, three times Jesus in the garden prayed, Father, take this cup from me before he was crucified. Three times he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And, and the Lord says, no, you need to go through. You need to drink the cup. And he drinks the cup of the wrath of God for our salvation. And sometimes in the ways of God are not our ways. And, and, and coming as we read the word, and the word actually helps to, us to grow in wisdom as you read it. Because it's, it's not a nice little neat answer book. Uh, it teaches us what God is like as we read it, as we get to know him in the word. And I'll carry on on that just now in terms of how that works itself out. Um, I want to say this, that, um, and let me carry on here. You know, it's interesting. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, as it says here that, the Bible is able to make you wise for salvation. And it's interesting here, it says, through faith in Christ Jesus. So, in a sense, to find the kind of wisdom and to grow, actually, to be a follower of Jesus in the world, part of his family, to grow in wisdom, how do we do it? It says, actually, the key to this is through faith in Jesus. In other words, that the key to understanding the Bible and unlocking the wisdom of God and the life of the Lord comes through a relationship with Jesus. Not through how clever you are. Not through if you are more educated or you've had a degree that you kind of have an inside lane to understanding the Bible. No, that's not what he says. It says that wisdom for salvation comes through faith in Jesus. 
It's interesting. So there's a key, in a sense, that can unlock the ways of God, which is your relationship with Christ, your faith and your trust in Him. You know, and what's quite interesting today is um, we place a very high premium in our culture on knowledge. Uh, we place a high premium uh, on, and, and some that's not bad. It's not a bad thing, you know. Um, someone once said, what's the difference in knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in the fruit salad. You must have heard that one, Jeff. <laughs> I'm sure you've used it many times as well. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a group of people in the Bible that actually had great knowledge. They, in fact, they knew their Bible so well. John chapter 5, and I'd like us to look at this because while, uh, and I, again, I want to inspire you this morning to, to read your Bibles, but we see that the end is not Bible knowledge. The end for us as Christians is the people of one book, the book, is not just to know the book. There's a different end, there's a different goal, and it's not knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We, don't, we want knowledge, but not for the sake of it. And it's interesting, there were people in the Bible who knew the Bible so well. In fact, um, they were called uh, scribes and scholars. They were the, the Pharisees and, you know, the, these groups of people, these Jews in the New Testament that studied the Bible. They, they devoted their life to reading it and, and wanting to know it and to truly get, get it into their soul. And these men, by the way, you know, we often give the Pharisees um, a, a bad name because we think, oh, those were religious people. You know, they were just, but actually they loved the Bible. They loved the scriptures. They loved the word of God. They were devoted to it. And, and you've got you to respect these people because of their absolute devotion for the things of God. They, they were devoted. But Jesus speaks to them in John 5, 37. And it's quite interesting, this conversation that he has with them. He says in verse 37, he says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. Now, he's speaking to people that were the, these were good people, people of the day. They were, uh, you know, these were, these were church-going people, good people. And he says, you don't know me. You don't know me. You've studied me, and he carries on. He says, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Yeah. What a condemnation. Now, but they, I would object there. If I was a Pharisee, I'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. You, I, didn't, I don't have the scriptures about me. What? I mean, I have them on my forehead. I have them on my wrist. I have them on the doorpost in my home. I, I have, I've memorized scripture, and they would memorize reams and reams of scripture. They knew the scriptures. And he actually, he, Jesus says, no, but you don't have his, his word abiding in you. Why? And here we see why. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You see how that links up with 2 Timothy 3? You do not believe him. In other words, you haven't come with faith in Jesus. And because you don't believe in me, he says, Jesus says, you, the word has no impact on your life. It cannot transform you because you reject the author of the word. You've rejected the one whom the word is all about. And he carries on. You, th you search the scriptures. Don't, it's interesting. Like, they don't just read the scriptures. They search the scriptures. Do any of us, you know, it's, it's quite an indictment on us in many ways, you know, because we read the Bible. We, we'd kind of, okay, I'm going to read this in my quiet time today. You know, we read a passage. They didn't just read it. They searched it. 
They, and by the way, I want to say, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful of is um, as those that love the truth, we sometimes think that revelation drops out of heaven, drops out from the sky. <laughs> when we want to read our Bibles and it's like, okay, Lord, I'm reading your word and all of it is true, but, you know, you want God to speak to you. You want there to be unlocked and to see aspects that are, that are just fresh. You know what I mean? But it doesn't come as it just drops out of heaven. In fact, Proverbs 2 says, if you want wisdom and you're crying out for insight to knowledge, he says, search for it as for hidden treasure. In other words, dig for it. And I find definitely in my own walk with the Lord over the years, I've served the Lord, I've, I've walked with him for many years, but I find for myself that when I get the most out of Scripture, I have actually have to dig. I can't just wait and hope for revelation. I actually have to literally dig. I've got to dig into the ground. I've got to, and as I dig, so to speak, as I study the word, as I read it, as I ask the hard questions, as I, as I, as I read it in context, as I try and even engage with those difficult scriptures that we avoid, and those difficult books that we avoid, and I come with the right posture to know the author, I find that then God begins to give me the gold, so to speak, because I've been digging. And let's be honest, I think sometimes... Um, I know I have been lazy in the past, but we, the Bible says we have to be workers rightly handing the word of truth. And I think in our church, we have to be careful in Josh Jen that we don't piggyback off the convictions of our leaders, where we just say, okay, well, you said it, I, I believe it. Now, that's true. We, we obviously have to follow, but at the same time, God would, would want you to have a conviction that you develop faith in a sense, and we work with your faith. We enable you and we show you the scriptures, and then to get, you go home and you study it and you w wrestle through and you work it through. We're people of the word. And, um, and so he carries, it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so what's the indictment against them? They were searching. They were digging. But they missed the fact that it was about the author and loving the author and obeying the author and getting to know Christ. And again, what makes a Christian? A Christian is not someone who reads their Bible, goes to church every Sunday, is a good person, you know, and I was bad, and here I am bad, and I'm bad, and I'm, now I'm trying hard, you know, I'm a good person, bad, bad, a little bit better, good, 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 really good. You know, now I'm a Christian. That is not a Christian. What is a Christian? Christian is someone, Ephesians 2, dead. Ephesians 2, you're dead. You're dead. You as much as you do, as much Bible study as you want, as much going to church as you want, as much helping old ladies as you want, okay? That does not make you alive. Alive doesn't come from pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. What does alive come from? By being made born again. As we, as we put our faith in Jesus, then his word comes alive to us. And, and I find so many people, they're trying so hard, but they're not alive. We even had a student recently. She has been very well-churched um, in, in one of the, the churches that we work with. So well-churched. She's a churched girl. She knows all the right words, and she even raised her, raises her hands. But she loves sin. She loves her sin. And she hasn't been able to break free from her sin and you know what the real issue is? She's, she's never been born again. She'd never fully put her faith and her trust in Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And she knew that. 
she was kind of masquerading, playing the church girl. And she actually, uh, about a week and a half ago, she actually be, she, she gave her life to Christ. And suddenly, it's like she was dead. Now she's alive. She's alive. And when you're alive, you know, suddenly she said, for the first time in my life, it's like, now I understand. I'm reading the Bible, and it's like the, the blinkers have come off. And, and it's like, oh, I want to know him. And she said for the first time, I want to be baptized. She had been baptized when she was eight or nine, but it was kind of, it was a cool thing to do, and that was the church thing to do. But she's like, I want to be baptized because I understand that I've died with Christ and I've been resurrected with him. What has she done? She's met the author. She's met the one, and now the word has come alive to her. She's, through faith in Jesus, she's growing in wisdom and making choices and orientating her life around the kingdom of God. And, and that's where we are, right? We're a community of, of living stones, you know? Not like, come on, let's drag you on, you know? No, we're pushing ahead because as we follow in him. And so I love this in, 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 in what Jesus says. And my friends, I want to say that I would encourage you to go and read the word. But read it so that you can, through a relationship with Jesus, and this is the way that I do it, is that when I come to Scripture, I pray. I do a simple thing like I pray. I say, Lord, would you, would you come this morning, and even as I relate to you, as I pray to you, I want to get to know you in your word. And I read the Bible so that I can actually get to know the character of God, and I can get to obey him. Not just to puff myself up with how knowledgeable I am. Did you know about the, the Nephilim and who they really are? Ooh, do you know about the mystery in Revelation? And, and the pharmacaea and what that means, you know? Ooh, and the marks of the beast and what that means, you know? Yeah? And the, the four horses of the apocalypse. Do you know what that really means? By the way, if you're into the book of Revelation, let me just say, Revelation 1.1 says this is a revelation of Christ Jesus. The whole point of the book of Revelation is actually about Jesus. And what is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. That's what it is. It means a, a, a person of Christ. It doesn't mean, by the way, little Christ. Sometimes these teachings go around, Christian means little Christ. That's not true. It means the Christ people or a person of Christ. You're just a person of Christ. You're following him. You just, that's him. I follow him. And sure, I've got his word, but I, I don't idolize his word. But I do use his word because it's breathed out. It's a gift to help me to know him and to know his ways and obey him through faith in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you in closing. In, you know, so this is the question I ask myself often, not all the time, but often when reading the word, is I ask myself the question when I read through a portion of scripture, one of the questions is how, how does this section, or let me put it another way, what does this section teach me about the character of God? I think that's often a good place to start. What is this teaching me about what God is like? And it's sometimes, even if you're reading like an obscure piece in you know, Leviticus, by the way, the Old Testament law is gold. If you do a bit of digging and your posture is to love him and obey him, it is gold. It is gold. You'll know the ways of God. Some, the Old Testament law are some of my favorite books. Some of the, there's treasures there that you haven't even been, you know, and I would encourage you, like, get into some of the books that maybe you've never got into before. You've avoided them. The, the nature of God, the character, the way it reveals the grace and the favor and the love of God. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I, just in closing, I want to share two stories. The one is um, 
I, I was on holiday and I was reading through Isaiah. Um, and Isaiah, you know, is a difficult book. It's a difficult uh, book. And I was reading and I've been struggling with the country. You know, the Prince of Darkness has covered our land, ESCOM, right? <laughs> and I've been struggling, you know. I, I mean, I've got a, I was born in the Seychelles. I've got a Seychelles passport. I was even wondering, you know, Lord, do you want to send us back to the Seychelles where I'm from? I was born there. You know, my kids have Seychelles passports. Like, you know, I want to spiritualize my unbelief now, you know, and like uh, send us back, you know, to, you know. And meanwhile, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm, I've been fearful of the future and anxious of, you know, the, the, as the, the country's shaking and just, you know, just the corruption in government and all those things. And I was struggling. And, and in my quiet time, I was reading Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah 6, there's a section where the prophet Isaiah sees God. He has a vision of God, Yahweh. And it says, and I saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. It says, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne. And as I read that and just asked, God, I want to get to know you. Help me. The Lord just said, Mike, again, through that scripture, Mike, who is on the throne? Do you believe that it's ultimately who is on the throne, who is ruling and reigning? And I realized as a Christian, it's like, Lord, actually, Father, I've been walking in fear and unbelief. And I realized I need a vision of God. We need a vision of God. You know, we live in a society that has very big views about how great man is, how great people are. Oh, your potential and how much you can do. We have very little thoughts about God. Our thoughts of God are small. Our views of ourselves are great. And when we come to Scripture, we see the greatness of God. We have a vision of God. And the thing that will sustain us as followers of Jesus in healthy church is a vision of God. That's it. And so as I was reading, I had to repent. I was like, Lord, I'm sorry that I've had a small view of God. I've forgotten actually that you rule over these things and that you're using the, 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 the darkness and the, even the evil in our land to work out your purposes. And you know, I want to say that the safest place to be is where? Is in the will of God. If he tells you to, if, if, unless he clearly says, move, and I would never make that decision by myself. I bounce those big life decisions off my those I trust in the church. I, my brothers, I draw them close, my elders, my leaders, and then we make that decision. But if the Lord hasn't said go, I'm not going to go. The safest place is in the will of God and under the throne, so to speak. And so, you know, yeah, it's just we need a vision of God. So, in closing, the Bible promises that it is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you want to grow in wisdom today? Do you want to flourish in this life and in the life to come? Well, we get into his word. We get to know the, the, the God of the word, and we get to know his word, the word of God. And uh, I want to end with the story um, of just the power of the word. And just that, you know, it carries on. Actually, we're not going to get there, but in the next verse, it actually says that all scriptures breathed out by God. It comes from the mouth of God through the minds of the authors. The word has inherent power as we read it, as we posture ourselves well. And there's a story in 1787 um, of this guy called Captain Bly. Um, he was the captain of the Bounty. Um, some of you might have they made it into a movie years ago called The Mutiny on the Bounty. Um, some of you have heard of that. Um, Pitcairn Island. And he took the ship, the Bounty, on a voyage around the world. Some of you have heard the story. I don't think I've shared it here, have I? 
in Weinberg. Okay, I've shared in a few places. And he took a voyage around the world to collect breadfruit trees. When Captain Bly reached Tahiti in the central southern Pacific, he found a veritable paradise. Soon, every sailor had a girlfriend. There was quite a deal of grumbling when Bly announced that after a few months in this heaven on earth, they were leaving. Not many days out of Tahiti, Bly woke up to find himself looking down the barrel of a gun. <laughs> Bly and 18 officers were put in a small boat without maps. Fletcher Christian and eight mutineers took the ship back to Tahiti and the pretty ladies. There they convinced not eight, but 12 girls to go with them. They set off again for fear of being caught, and they had no plans but came across Pitcairn Island. It was another island paradise. And it took, um, they took as much as the things that there is possible onto the island, and then they set fire to the ship. What looked like a paradise turned out to be 10 years of hell. One of the sailors used a copper kettle to make a distillery. They drank the fire water made from the tree roots, and the men spent days, weeks, and months on end plastered by the spirits. Some of the men became mad and became, went mad and became like animals. They fought among themselves. Some, one jumped off a cliff. After several years, there were only two men left, Edward Young and Alexander Smith. Young was old, ill, and asthmatic, and one night the women seized the guns and barricaded themselves and the 18 children, their 18 children, off from the men. The men had become so unruly, so without boundaries, that they feared for their lives, barricaded them off. Neither the women nor the children would go near the two men. But then one day, Young went to the ship's chest, and at the bottom, found, among the papers, found a book. And it was an old, leather-bound, mildewed and worm-eaten Bible. He had not read for years, and Smith could not read at all. So Young taught him, and the two men, frightened, disillusioned, and utter wrecks, together read, began to read the Bible. They started at Genesis, and they saw from the Old Testament that God was holy and that they were sinful. They did their best to pray. The little children were the first to come back to the men, and they noticed a change in the men. Then the children brought the women, and they sat and listened to them read. During this time, Young died, and then Smith came to the New Testament. Something important happened to him as he read the story of Jesus in the Bible. He said this, I'd been working like a mole for years, he said, and suddenly it was as if the doors flew wide open and I saw the light and I met God in Jesus Christ and the burden of my sin rolled away and I found new life in Christ. Eighteen years after the mutiny on the bounty, a ship from Boston came across the island of Pitcairn, and the captain went ashore. There, he found a community. But the community he found were people who were godly. They had a love and peace about them he had never seen before. And when the captain got back to the States, United States, he reported that in all his travels, he had never seen or met a people who were so good, gracious, and loving. Why? They'd been changed by the message of the Bible. I tell you, my friends, we're, we're a people of the book. It's our standard. It's our boundary. It's, our, it's, it's, it's a way it shapes our thinking. And ultimately, it transforms our behavior into the image of Jesus. 
Do you just merely want to be an informed Christian or you want to be transformed through his people, by the Spirit, through the Word? This is the privilege we have. And I want to pray for us this morning that God would again just freshen in us a deeper love for his Word.